Jesus always thinks and responds and talks and acts in ways that perfectly please God the Father. But you and I do not always think and respond and talk and act in ways that perfectly please the Father. But that same power that enables Jesus to live joyfully, fruitfully, and faithfully is available to you and me. This power comes to us through the Holy Spirit. He unites us to our Savior Jesus, places us in Christ, and we receive from Jesus all the power that we need to live joyfully, fruitfully, and faithfully before God. And that means that this gospel that we are privileged to proclaim is not just the power of God to change lives, sorry, to save for eternity. It is the power of God to change lives right now, not just to save us for all eternity, but to make us more and more like Jesus right now here on earth. We are halfway today, Mark's halfway, through the fruit of the Spirit. We've been working our way backwards, self-control, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and now kindness. We are at the halfway point through the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, our sister Molly is going to come and she is going to read us a text from Ephesians chapter 4, This is verses 31 and 32. I should have mentioned you can open your Bible to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. There's two other texts before we get to that one, but this is where we're going to land the plane, so that's why I picked this one for Molly. So, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Thanks, Molly. A couple weeks back, I was at Costco, and um, I'm sure there's a better way to handle this, so somebody who knows how to do this better, you can alert me to the right way to solve this problem. I needed to go to Costco for the Martinson household, and then I also needed to pick up three bins of uh, the animal crackers that we serve, I think, in the nursery to the little ones for Grace City Church. And so um, I went into Costco and did all of the Martinson stuff that needed to be done first. And I went through the self-checkout line because that's new and an improvement over waiting in long lines at Costco. And so I did that, and that was fine. And then I, I went back in I'm sure that the person checking uh, my membership card recognized that I was just here like 15 minutes ago and thought this guy clearly has lost his mind, but they let me back in for a second go, and I made my way over to the animal crackers, which I have purchased before, so I knew exactly where they are. It's a big tub, has a blue lid. They stack together like uh, Duplo blocks, big Lego blocks. And so I got my animal crackers, three bins of them, had them in my cart, got up to the self-checkout line, and uh, I, took a, I, I took them out, scan, set it down, take it out, scan, set down, take it out, scan, set down. Total, 
pushed the little button, whipped out my card, swiped the wrong card, because they don't take American Express, put that card back in, took out the correct card to pay uh, with the, the church's credit card for these um, animal crackers, and then stuffed the credit card and my receipt in my, wall, in my pocket so I didn't lose it, and made my way to the exit. And as I was driving my cart up to the exit, the lady who was going to stand there and check my receipt um, gave me this funny look. And I thought, well, perhaps it's because she just checked me out a few moments ago as well. And as I got closer, I looked in my cart and realized I did not have the three bins of animal crackers. And so I smiled at her, wheeled around, and I went back, and I'm making my way, and I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? They're never going to believe me. Somebody else probably stole my animal crackers right off that self-service bin. And as I got up there, a very kind employee looked at me, and she said, I thought you might come back since you had three. These seem like they're probably important to you. And I said, they are important. The kids at church need them. I put them in my cart. I drove my cart to the exit. The lady looked at me again very knowingly and uh, swiped my receipt, and I made my exit. Now, here's why I tell that story. Um, these two employees showed kindness to me. I deserved to be shamed at least a little bit. I mean, really? You have three bins of animal crackers? You can't manage that? I have no kids, no other responsibilities other than those three bins, right? And neither one of them shamed me or made me feel embarrassed. They, they both were very kind to me. Kindness is more than not being mean. Sometimes when we think about kindness, we think, well, I'm kind if I am not mean. But not being rude to the server at the restaurant is not the same thing as being kind to the server. Kindness is not merely the absence of cruelty. Kindness is awareness of and sensitivity to and compassion for the well-being of others. Perhaps I can illustrate it this way. Have you ever seen a cookie on a plate and picked up that cookie expecting that you were going to bite into a chocolate chip cookie and as you bite into that cookie, you realize this is not a chocolate chip cookie. This is an oatmeal raisin cookie. And now I am quite disappointed in my choice, right? Now, you're not going to turn that oatmeal raisin cookie into a wonderful chocolate chip cookie by removing the raisins. Just taking out the raisins is not the problem you got to add chocolate chips and probably get rid of the oatmeal too, if we're honest, right? Dump that oatmeal. So kindness is not merely taking out cruelty and meanness and rudeness out of our lives. 
Kindness is more than not being mean. In fact, you might define kindness this way. It is soft-hearted goodness shown especially to those who don't deserve it. Now, if you were with us last week, then you know that there is uh, that, that there's some overlap here between kindness and goodness. Kindness and goodness are not the same thing, but they're not entirely distinct either. And so, in an effort to clarify that, last week, you may recall, I gave you a number of examples of goodness, and this week, I want to show you how we might see kindness coming out of these acts of goodness that I gave you last week, and you can probably take this up in your families or in your missional community discussions and play around with this there as well. So, how is kindness related to goodness? Well, if goodness is cleaning the kitchen, then kindness would be cleaning with a positive attitude towards those who made the mess. If goodness confronts sin with truth and grace, then kindness would avoid heaping guilt and would also remind the person of God's forgiveness in Christ. If goodness gives financially to those in need, kindness gives sacrificially without thought of being thanked. If goodness makes lunch for the kids when you haven't finished your coffee yet, kindness finds a way to make that lunch special for the kids, even though they have been obnoxious all morning. If goodness takes time to answer a coworker's question, kindness perhaps invites that coworker into your home for a meal. If goodness mows your neighbor's lawn, kindness mows the neighbor's lawn, the one who's not friendly, who doesn't wave in return, who never greets you when you're dragging your garbages out together at the same time. Kindness, then, emphasizes the how and the why. The how, sorry, and the who of goodness. How do you show your goodness? Is there a soft-hearted tenderness towards the person receiving your goodness? What is the disposition of your heart? What is the attitude of your heart? And kindness emphasizes the who. Kindness is especially for those who don't deserve the goodness. I want to look briefly this morning at three ways God shows us kindness, and then three associated ways that He commands us to be kind to others. Here's the three ways. I'll give them to you up front, and then we'll work our way through them, okay? So I want to show you kindness in good works. I want to show you kindness in evangelism. I want to show you kindness in conflict. So first, kindness and good works. 
It is not hard to love those who love me back. Anybody else? You with me on that? It is not hard to love those who love me back. It is not hard to do good to those who I hope will return the favor. But kindness is not a quid pro quo arrangement. In other words, kindness doesn't say, you scratch my back and then I'll scratch your back in return. Perhaps you have thought about kindness in the drive through when there is that pay-it-forward thing going on, which is really a pay-it-in-reverse, but whatever, right? So somebody in the front pays for their coffee or whatever and the next car behind them, and then the idea is that that car would then pay for the next car behind them. Sometimes we think about that kindness, about kindness in that way, but in reality, it's only the first person in that line who is being kind. Everybody else has already had something kind done to them. Here's Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, Jesus is speaking, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Do these words of Jesus make you grimace a little? I'm with you. Loving our enemies, doing good without expectation, lending that looks a lot more like giving. This is the way of Jesus. This is the Spirit's fruit of kindness. And it is very different from how we are used to living. What would ever motivate kindness in our hearts? Well, Jesus tells us, it is our Father in heaven. He motivates this kind of kindness. How does He do that? Well, He is kind to those who are ungrateful. He's kind to those who are evil. Now, we are inclined to say, oh yeah, those other guys. The evil guys. The ungrateful guys. He's kind to them. And I wonder if Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would alert our hearts to realize that Jesus is talking about you and me. We are the ungrateful ones. We are the evil ones. And God shows kindness to us. 
God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You can't arrange a quid pro quo with God. You can't scratch His back in order to get from Him. He's the first person in the drive through line. And He doesn't just pay for the next car. He pays for every car in line, even though everybody is honking their horns and making rude, inappropriate gestures towards Him. He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, God welcomes us into His family. He shows us soft-hearted goodness, and then He commands us to imitate Him. How do we do this? We do this by loving those who hate us, by giving generously to those who don't say thanks, and by doing good without expectation of goodness in return. Kindness is evidence of the Spirit's presence and power in your life. And kindness is an excellent witness for the gospel. I suspect many of us are familiar with this text from Romans chapter 3. It's verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does it mean to fall short? Sometimes by uh, the cashier, the checkout line, perhaps at a gas station, maybe if it's especially if it's one of those kind of old school gas stations, or maybe, that, maybe they're not doing pay at the pump kind of things yet, they'll, they'll have a little, a little bin or a little jar, a little spot where if you have some loose change, you can drop your loose change in there. And, and that way, if someone comes along who happens to be a few pennies short or a nickel or whatever, they can take that and they can pay their debt up and, and make right on what they owe. I think sometimes that's how we think about falling short of the glory of God. That we're just a few pennies short, maybe a nickel. We're within striking distance. But when Paul talks about falling short of the glory of God, he has something entirely different in mind. You might think about needing to make a mortgage payment when you go to check your bank account and realize the money simply is not there. I'm not a few pennies short. I'm a mortgage payment short. We don't fall a few pennies short. We are hopelessly and helplessly short of the glory of God. We know this because Paul records this list in Romans chapter 1. It's in verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, 
haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolishness, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I wonder, Ben, how you might respond if a character witness on the stand who is supposed to give credibility to the defendant were to sit on the witness stand and read this list. This is not what the judge is expecting to hear about the defendant. You're not expecting the judge or the jury to show mercy. But then just five verses in Paul's epistle later, five verses later, we read this. It's in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Or do you presume, do you make light of, do you disregard, do you think little of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God shows kindness to sinners who fall hopelessly and helplessly short of his glory. It is his kindness that he intends to lead us to repentance. Those who fall short of his glory, we deserve judgment. And yet, God doesn't make the lives of sinners as miserable as he can. Have you ever thought about that? No, he is kind, overwhelmingly kind, maybe even unexpectedly kind. He shows forbearance, restraint, and so much patience for sinners. And he gives them goodness. He lets them breathe his air. He lets them eat food and stay alive. He gives them sunshine. He gives them time to repent, to hear the gospel, to respond. He reveals himself in the Bible. He gives us freedoms to enjoy so that we can gather for public worship. He sends his Holy Spirit to alert us to our sin. Oh, God is kind to those who fall so far short of his glory. Do you actively seek opportunities to evangelize? It would be unkind not to tell others this message right? It would be unkind to hold this message, to have it in our hearts, and not to share it with those who need it. Those like us who have fallen so horribly short of God's glory. Those like us who deserve His judgment and yet are repeatedly receiving His goodness. 
you are evangelizing, I wonder if your focus is more on a one-time decision or if you are committed to helping others grow in their relationship with God. It is important that we recognize the responsibility of sinners to respond to the message of God's gospel in order to avoid his wrath. And yet, that's not the end of our work with sinners. I'm not suggesting that we should avoid talking about God's holiness or his righteous anger towards sin. That certainly needs to be part of our presentation of the gospel. But I would like to challenge us to consider what we emphasize in our preaching of the gospel. If God's mercy really is more, then let's tell them that. If God's grace really is amazing, then let's tell them God's grace is amazing. If God's love is so compelling that He has wooed and won us by His love, then let's tell them about this God who is rich in love towards those who fall short. As we go with this gospel, let's celebrate God's kindness, His soft-hearted goodness towards those who don't deserve it. That was you. And that was me. And that ought to compel us to evangelize with kindness. Kindness in evangelism is evidence of the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. Let's look at kindness in conflict. Do you know what's really hard? Resolving conflict. It doesn't seem to matter if it is conflict with kids, conflict between siblings, conflict in our marriages, conflict with friends or coworkers, conflict between neighbors, conflict with ministry leaders. Most of us would rather just avoid the other person and hope that time heals all wounds. Do you know what's harder than conflict resolution? Forgiving the one who has hurt you. Bitterness is easier than forgiveness. Bitterness swings wide open the door and welcomes the memory of the hurt done to me again and again and again and again. But since God forgives us, He commands us to forgive one another. This is kindness in conflict. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you 
along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What keeps you from forgiving? Most of my unwillingness to forgive is motivated by what-about-isms. What about if he doesn't really mean it when he says he's sorry? What about if she hurts me again? What about if they don't change and they keep repeating these same terrible behaviors? What about how I have been misunderstood in this situation? What about how this is not the whole truth of what went down? What about my own feelings? What about the way that I have been hurt by your unkind words? Most of my unforgiveness is motivated by whataboutisms like that. Forgiveness is the epitome of kindness. Of course the other person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. They hurt you. They don't deserve it. That's why Paul links kindness with forgiveness. Of course it would be easier to pull away from that person to harden your heart against them, to choose isolation from them. Of course that would be easier. Maybe it would protect you from getting hurt by their unkind words again. But forgiveness is the epitome of kindness. And so we beg the Holy Spirit to make our hearts soft towards those who hurt us towards those who seek forgiveness. Forgiveness is the epitome of kindness because this is how God treats me. This is how God treats you if you are in Christ. Paul makes this crystal clear in Romans chapter 5. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were his enemies, through the death of Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself. That means he has brought us into a relationship with Him. A relationship that we did not deserve. A relationship that is owed to His soft-hearted compassion towards a sinner like you and me. You don't transform an oatmeal raisin cookie 
into a chocolate chip cookie by taking out the raisins. And so God's kindness towards us is not merely the absence of his anger. He is infinitely aware of and acutely sensitive to and graciously compassionate towards the well-being of sinners. Because God is kind and he forgives. Will you trust him? If you see that it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, will you trust him? Children, little ones, will you trust him? Will you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Adults, friends, visitors, will you trust him? Will you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Brothers and sisters, kindness is our response to God's generosity, to His grace, to His forgiveness that He shows us in our Savior Jesus. Through the Spirit's transforming power, let's grow in kindness. Let's imitate God's soft-hearted goodness towards those who don't deserve it. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled and grateful to be your children. You have been so kind and so good to us. Would you soften our hearts? Would you give us the strength to obey? Would you change us and make us more like Jesus? We ask this for your glory and for our good. We know it'll be good for our relationships. We know it'll be good for our evangelism efforts. We know it'll be good as we seek to do good, to love others, to serve others. Please grow this fruit of kindness in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.